Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from John's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will hold on to my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who does not love me does not hold on to my words. The word that you are hearing is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have told you these things while staying with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not let it be afraid. This is the Gospel of our Lord. We pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who today kept his promise to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. Preparation for separation. Is that how those of us who have children think of parenting? Preparing for separation? I don't think we would normally think of parenting in those terms because it's not a very pleasant thought to know that someday we will be permanently separated from our children. And yet it's true, as unpleasant as that thought is, it's true. Why do we teach our children to read and write and do math and balance a budget and make their beds and and really just get along in life in this world? We do it because one day we won't be there to care for them, to advise them, to guide them. They will have to do it themselves. It's not just parents either. We as a church, we who have committed ourselves to proclaiming the gospel message here in McFarland and supporting the the spread of the gospel throughout the world, we spend an awful lot of time and effort and money teaching the gospel to the next generation. As a synod, we spend a lot of time and effort and money training up pastors and teachers for the same purpose because someday we won't be around to do it anymore. It will be up to them to preach and teach the gospel. We are preparing for separation. That's very much what Jesus was doing for his disciples in that upper room on Monday, Thursday in our text. He was preparing them for life after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, which we celebrated last week. He was preparing them for a new reality for them, one where they would not have Jesus physically present. Here's a greater context. At the end of the previous chapter, chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples, Little children, I am going away. And the disciples were troubled. They were baffled. They were confused. And they were filled with questions. Peter asked him, why can't I go with you, Lord? I'll I'll go with you even to death. Thomas asked, well, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And right before our text, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, not the betrayer, but the other Judas, uh, he wondered, Why are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And so in answering these questions, Jesus is really preparing his disciples for separation when they would no longer have him physically present with them. The first step in in this preparation, Jesus brings up the dreaded D word. You know the D word? The word that many people, even many Christians, consider to be dirty and divisive today. The, the thing that 
Many Christians say, if you could just get beyond this, we could all get along and we wouldn't have to be separated into different denominations that are at war with each other. That word is doctrine. Jesus says this. He says, if anyone loves me, he will hold on to my word. The one who does not love me does not hold on to my words. Well, it seems like Jesus takes his doctrine, his teaching, his word pretty seriously, doesn't he? He even equates holding on to his word, his doctrine, his teaching with faith. And if you do not hold on to his word, his teaching, his doctrine, then that is indicative of unbelief. Well, that seems pretty serious. Why? Does Jesus take doctrine so seriously? Why should we take doctrine so seriously? Well, Jesus says this, The word you are hearing is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. So it, this doctrine that Jesus is teaching comes right from God. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. Again, that, that focus on the word. And it's not just Jesus. It's not just the Father. It's the whole Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with one unanimous voice saying, cling to the words of Jesus. Working together to focus us on Jesus' word that he spoke while he was on this earth. Why is Jesus so adamant that his disciples hold on to his word even after he's gone? Well, just think about the the position that they will be in after Jesus ascended into heaven. While Jesus was on this earth, he served as their counselor, their guide. Their comforter. He, he was the one who revealed God to them. When there was some troubling event in the news, Jesus interpreted that news for them. When they were paralyzed with fear on the stormy sea of Galilee, Jesus calmed that storm. When the disciples were worried about their daily needs, Jesus said, look at the, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Don't you think God who cares for them will care for you too? Jesus was always right there caring for them, guiding them, counseling them. But soon he would be taken away from them and they wouldn't have him there to personally counsel them. And there would still be troubles in their lives. There would still be problems. There would still be disasters. There would still be things that would make the disciples wonder, where is God in all of this? And so Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit. And he he lays out what the Holy Spirit's work will be. It wouldn't be some mystery. It wouldn't be some, some strange thing that the Holy Spirit would do, but rather the Holy Spirit would be sent to remind the disciples of everything that Jesus said while he was with them. We are beneficiaries of that gift of the Holy Spirit too, aren't we? When troubles and disasters and tragedies arise in our lives, the Holy Spirit does come to us, maybe it's through a pastor, maybe it's through a friend, maybe it's through a parent, to remind us of those comforting words that Jesus said while he was still on this earth. Words like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Words like, seek first God and his righteousness. And all of these other things, all these other things you need for life in this world, they will be given to you as well. Words like, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We know those words, right? The Holy Spirit brings us those comforting words when when life gets turned upside down. But the devil's right there at the same time, isn't he? And oftentimes he resorts to his original lie. Did God really say? He wants to make it seem like, yeah, Jesus' words, those are 
okay. But if you really want to have comfort and confidence in this life, you need to know what God Himself says. What God's will for your life is. What He's doing out there in the world. You need to not just be content with the black and white words on the page, but you need to try to reach up into heaven, into God's unapproachable light, if you are really to know what's going on in this world. That's why so many people are drawn to preachers who brag about having a special connection, you know, a special line to God. Why people are, are drawn to books that claim to be offering brand new revelations. Why so often people will search their hearts for God instead of searching their Bibles. But that's a terrible way to Thinking that you have to search for God in your feelings. Or maybe that He's speaking to you in a dream. Or maybe there's some coincidence in life and, and, and wondering, is, is that the Holy Spirit speaking to me? If you've ever talked, if you've ever lived that way yourself, or if you've ever talked to someone who's lived that way, always, always wondering how God is speaking to them in, in these various ways, in dreams, in gut feelings, in coincidences in life. It's an it's a anxious, anxiety-filled way to live. It just leads to fear. You can never know anything for certain. Because you always have to be wondering, is that the Holy Spirit? Or is it just something else? Is it just a coincidence in life? Is that the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Or did I just have a bad dream, a nightmare? Is that the Holy Spirit? Is my stomach just upset? You can never know for sure. And you'd always have to be worried. If I don't obey, if I don't listen to this voice, am I disobeying God? Is something terrible going to happen to me or my family if I don't listen to that voice? That's, that's a horrible way to live. It's just filled with fear and uncertainty, kind of like the disciples were at on Monday, Thursday. But there is an antidote to that kind of fear and uncertainty and anxiety. It is the staunchly Lutheran and biblical confession of sola scriptura. The fact that God has bound himself to the words of Jesus and that is where we should look for him. People will say, well, you're just putting God into a book-shaped box. You can't do that. God is almighty. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But God himself did that. Martin Luther had this to say in the small called articles. We must firmly hold that God grants his spirit or grace to no one except through or with the preceding outward word. This protects us from the enthusiasts, that is, those souls who boast that they have the Spirit without and before the Word. Therefore, we must constantly maintain this point. God does not want to deal with us in any other way than through the spoken Word and the sacraments. Whatever is praised us from the Spirit without the Word and sacraments is the devil himself. You don't have to search your feelings, your dreams, strange coincidences in life for God. In fact, you absolutely should not. As Paul told the Galatians, if anyone comes to you bringing a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be cursed. It's not safe to look for God outside of the places that he's promised to be found. I know that might sound kind of arrogant, like we Lutherans are claiming a monopoly on the truth. How can we be sure that we're not the ones missing out on the Spirit? I mean, you know, as Lutherans, we are kind of dry compared to other denominations. We are kind of focused on the Word. We don't 
stand up and jump around. We don't wave our hands in the air. We don't claim to have these, these excited feelings in our belly about the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are pretty laid back. How can we be sure that we're not wrong? When so many other denominations, so many other people out there seem to have the Spirit, they seem to have all of these other various gifts, being able to speak in tongues or, or have healings or things like that. How, how can we be sure? Well, don't take my word for it. Don't take Luther's word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. How did he describe the Holy Spirit? He called him the counselor. The, the little Greek word there is paraclete. It's someone who stands next to you. It could be an advocate, like a, a, a lawyer who is taking your side. It could be a comforter. But in any case, however you think of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, if he's going to do his job, he has to be very clear about what he's doing, right? There's nothing clear about searching for God's word in your belly or in your dreams or in the strange coincidences of life. I mean, if you're trusting your gut to tell you what God's will is for your life, just consider this. That feeling in your gut could just be a mix-up of your medications. That feeling in your gut could just be the consequences of a spicy Mexican meal you ate. That feeling in your gut could actually be the devil himself. That just leads to uncertainty. If the Holy Spirit worked that way, he wouldn't be doing his job very well, would he? So what do you say to someone who who is convinced, God spoke? I think you could respond with Jesus' words right here. You could say, oh, all right. This is how God promises to speak to you. Now that that Jesus has ascended into heaven, this this is when the Holy Spirit goes to work. This is how God will communicate with you. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And what's he teaching? He will remind you of everything I told you. That's the only way we can be sure that God is speaking to us and not some imposter, not some some bad meal we had that's roiled our stomach. The only way we can be sure that it is God speaking to us is if he is reminding us of the clear, determinative words that Jesus spoke while he was on this earth. Jesus, before he ascended, he told us where we could find him, where we could find the Father. He said, whoever... uh, Anyone who is not washed with water and the Spirit cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, go to baptism. That's where you find God. He says, whenever you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He says, go to the absolution, either publicly or privately. That's where you find God. He says, take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant. Poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's communion. That's where you find God. These are the definitive places where we can find God, where we don't have to wonder if it's the devil. We don't have to wonder if it's just a nightmare. This is where God has promised to be found. This is where the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus. That is what Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to do, to teach us all of the words that Jesus spoke while he was on this earth. And when we when we receive that teaching as it really is, the word of God and not the word of man, then, then we have that second step of Jesus' preparation. We have his gift of peace. 
Now Jesus says, the peace that I offer you is not of this world. This world imagines that peace is having everything you want. Having everything that will make your life comfortable. Having wealth and health and security and a home and maybe some glory for yourself. All of those things. And yet, I'm sure we all know of people who have those things and yet still do not have any peace. For example, it's been almost unavoidable. I tried my hardest to avoid having to spend any time thinking about this, but I'm sure if you watched the news, you couldn't avoid it either. You maybe heard about the six-week-long Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial that was going on in Virginia. Now, those are two of the richest, most famous people in the entire world. Does it seem like they have peace? They don't have peace, and that's, that's good news for us, actually. Because it means that even if you lack any or all of those, those, those things that the world thinks is necessary for peace, even if you are struggling financially right now, as all of us are in one way or another every time we stop at the gas station, even if your health isn't the greatest, even if your, your, your mind is, your, something is psychologically wrong, even if your life is not perfect right now, you can still have peace. Because the peace that Jesus offers us is not peace of circumstance. It's not peace in this world. We'll never have peace in this world. But what he brings us is peace with God. That's the peace that passes all understanding. That's the peace that Jesus came to earn for us on the cross. Because our real problem is not our finances or our health or anything else in this life. Our real problem is our sinfulness. Our sinfulness made us hostile toward God. Our sins have separated us from God. That's why we can't see Him with our own eyes because He is holy and we are not. But Jesus died to pay for those sins. He lived a perfect life so that we would be reconciled with God. That is the peace that you have guaranteed through these means of grace. That's the peace that you have right here and right now that you have a right standing with God. And if you've ever had anyone angry with you in your life, you know how important it is to, to have that peace. Because if someone's angry at you, you're always looking over your shoulder a little bit, aren't you? You're always avoiding them, not wanting to make contact with them. You're always wondering when the next shoe is going to drop. And, and sadly, many people view God that way, that he's this angry, mysterious judge, and he's just waiting for an opportunity to crush us. I'm convinced that's at least one of the biggest reasons that many of our neighbors out there don't want to come in here to come into God's presence. They're afraid. They know in their hearts that they deserve His judgment. And so they're afraid to come into God's presence. But the, the, the gospel is that we don't have to be afraid anymore. God is not angry at us. He's not going to condemn us or damn us because He already damned Jesus in our place. There is no reason to be afraid. And that's because we have no condemnation, because we have peace with God. That's why Jesus closes up by saying, do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. And it's interesting here that this is not just a suggestion. This is an imperative. Jesus is issuing a command. Do not be afraid. My peace I give you, do not let your heart be troubled. Now why does Jesus have to command us? I almost picture it like Jesus with these words. He's He's slapping us upside the face. Don't be afraid. Knock it off. Why does he have to command that to us? Because we still have the sinful nature that cowers in fear of God. 
We still have the sinful nature that thinks, can that really be true? That what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago has actually brought peace between us and God? What about all the sins I've, I've, I've committed ever since I was baptized or just from the last time I confessed my sins? What about that? Can God really forgive me for those things? We continue to think the gospel is too good to be true. And Jesus slaps us upside the head and says, no, my peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives, and no one can take this peace away from you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. That's exactly what the devil, the world, and our sinful nature want to do to us. To make us afraid. To make us anxious that we don't see Jesus right here. We can't hold his hand or have him hold us and have him tell us exactly what is going on in our world. Exactly what God's will is for our lives. But that's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to teach us everything that Jesus spoke while he was on this earth. Words of comfort that are important for us to consider still to this day. And he gives us the gift of peace. Real peace. Not peace that, that a bad economy or a, a bad doctor's visit or even death itself can take away. But peace with God. That's the peace that transcends all understanding. So... Let Jesus hit you upside the head this morning and tell you, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. You have my peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.